sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm your pal Nate Larkin here with uh, your friend of mine, Ann Porter. Uh, man, life is going at about a million miles an hour, it seems like. Now I can just take a breath, sit down for a minute, and have a fascinating conversation. Yeah, and you just came back from some sexy place. <laughs> I did. Uh, let's clear that up quickly, uh, so that <laughs> uh, the audience doesn't think I, you know, went on a singles cruise or something. No, uh, I was very fortunate to be invited, along with a s- small number of other people, to a leadership training uh, seminar, three days, with Dr. Julie Slattery, uh, author of Rethinking Sexuality and another number of other books. You may know her from. She more or less succeeded Dr. Dobson at Focus on the Family on the show there, uh, and now has a ministry called Authentic Intimacy. We've had her on the show. Uh, she she and her husband uh, really have a um, really feel like they have a call to challenge and educate and ex- and really equip the church in having conversations around sexuality with uh with whoever's open to conversations and they don't shy away from the difficult conversations uh it amazes me aaron how much the ethical uh, uh, uh the the sexual ethic has changed during my lifetime and you uh, and you're younger than i am uh, you have seen the sexual ethic change haven't you radically yeah, yeah. i mean give give me some examples of of what blew your mind well for example i'm still trying to catch up with the whole trans conversation um uh, when we first started this podcast i was in a real dilemma how in the world do we even have a conversation with someone who i who identifies as gay and christian how Mm -hmm. do we even have that conversation because in my mind they absolutely do not go together can't possibly go together um, now we add to the mix uh, the growing number of trans people, and now as gender has been redefined uh, or deconstructed to the point where everything is fluid, uh, how, how do we have a conversation with somebody? And I've got people in my family now, my extended family, who would identify as uh, non-binary, neither male nor mm-hmm. female. Yeah. How? Sir- Certainly more conversations, but let me, let me. And how do I love them well? Right. As a Christian. Well, and as a Samson man, how, how does that get to be a part of their journey alongside other Samson men? So going back to like, okay, conversations about uh, somebody that's gay Mm-hmm. And that seemed like, wow, I don't know how to have that conversation. This is what I was taught. This is what I believe. These don't go together. And then yeah. over the years of doing Samson, obviously, that has been a conversation with hundreds of men. Did you find out after engaging the conversation that it wasn't as scary and 
complicated as you feared it was when you weren't actually having the conversations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was living in terror of something that I didn't need to be afraid of. But, but, but uh, to be fully present in these relationships and friendships and conversations, I have got to have uh, a, a, a proper understanding of my own sexuality, my own sexual brokenness. And, and I did not recognize uh, until quite recently, I think I'm still coming to grips with the damage that was done to me and the damage that I have done unconsciously, subconsciously, by buying into the church's knee-jerk reaction to the cultural narrative around sex. Mm-hmm. So as, as our culture began to drift farther and farther away from biblical norms and traditional norms around sexuality, and the church, you know, in reaction, we developed this purity narrative uh, where, you know, we're, we're, we're going to protect our kids by having these big rallies and we're going to get them together and they're going to make purity pledges and we're going to pass out rings and it's going to be, and the conversation is going to be around purity. And the subtext to that conversation is, look, here's the rules. You keep yourself pure. And if you keep yourself pure, God will bless it. He'll bless you with a mate, the perfect mate. And then when it's legal for the sexual the uh, sexual switch to be turned on, you will experience fabulous sex, fulfilling sex uh, for the rest of your life with the person God has for you. We pretty much sold that narrative. And right now, if I want to talk to my daughter, for example, about why she is very reluctant even to call herself a Christian and why she finds it almost impossible to, 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 to go, in, uh, go inside a, a ch- an evangelical church these days. Fortunately, she can go to some of the more liturgical churches. Uh, she will, uh, she'll come right away to that purity narrative. What I didn't understand was I was as damaged by that narrative as anybody else. I was trapped in the narrative as a pastor because what the narrative does not acknowledge and what the New Testament clearly, clearly does, this is a a cornerstone of Jesus' teaching. All All of us are broken. All of us are sexually broken. All have sinned, and I'm short of the glory of God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, it may not, our sexual sin, our sexual brokenness, the way we experience the brokenness of this world sexually, may not involve porn. It may not involve, uh, you know, gender or homosexuality or same-sex attraction or any of that kind of stuff. It may simply be in a, 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 a sexual insecurity, it may be in a sexless marriage. There's, there's going to be some way in which I am, I'm not experiencing uh, the fullness of what God created in sexuality. And, uh, or perhaps I've survived as, as very, very often the case. I'm just living with, uh, the pain of having been sexually violated or sexually abused as a young person, something I had absolutely no choice in. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, can I have that conversation in church? Right. And if I'm not having that conversation in church, I'm still having the conversation. I'm now, I'm being discipled by the culture and my thinking about myself, about the world <laughs> is being governed by whatever the, the cultural narrative is. Right. So Julie's trying to help people gain the tools to have good conversations. Right. Which are I, mostly about listening. Yeah, for sure. And and I think as Christians, we have to really think through some of the anti-gospel products of things like purity culture that you're yeah. talking about. You take a good thing. Being pure, is that's, that's a fine thought. It's not anti-purity. However, the spoken or unspoken subtext, the spoken version is, you're like a pure glass of drinking water. How many drops of diarrhea in that would make yeah. it something you right. would not want to drink? Right. So that closes the door on the gospel, closes right. the door on all those verses you read, because there is one standard and there's no way back. Yes. And yep. so that conversation for ourselves and for others, we just cannot remove the gospel from anybody's situation, from anybody's hurts, from anybody's brokenness, yeah. from anybody's journey that they're in the middle of. The gospel still has to be central. It has to be enough. Yeah. And I think that's why we have to move the con- uh, vocabulary is so important. Words matter. I think we need to move the conversation intentionally from purity, which is this all or nothing, black and white. And if we're honest, none of us are pure. Right. I, if, if I've stopped, you know, if I'm no longer looking at porn, that does not mean that I'm sexually. Pure. Jesus made that point when he said, hey, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Uh, there's no. OK. Jesus, um, Jesus had the, the diarrhea dropper and was just passing it around, man. <laughs> so we need to move the conversation, the vocabulary from purity to integrity. Hmm. And, and, and then let's acknowledge the fact that we are all on a journey toward integrity. And that, uh, that, you know, this sanctification process that God is in charge of and that is at work in us is actually a process. Uh, but to be a, engaged in the process, we have to be willing to be engaged in the process and not uh, uh, tell ourselves or anybody else that we have arrived. Mm-hmm. Which I guess there's even important words within focusing on integrity that there are moments throughout my day where I am not made of the same stuff. I mean, that's what integrity Mm -hmm. is, right? From foundries and metal and the integrity of metal means it has the, the least amount of impurities in that process. It's just steel. Mm -hmm. And parts of my day are out of integrity. Yeah. But that's okay. If I can learn to recognize it, I can try to, all right, let me process through that. Why is that happening? How can Mm -hmm. I get back to integrity? And it becomes a part of the journey. And man, just grace for the journey instead of trying to arrive is just huge. Uh, I like to, when I think about integrity, I like to think about that it's also related to the word integration. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, at, 
I feel that I am in integrity when I am not hiding the shadow. When when dark and light, I'm a lot. I'm bringing both my successes and my failures into the light. Uh, and I'm not trying to fool myself, God, or anybody else about who I really am. To me, integrity and authenticity are very, very closely related. Ooh, can we? I want to combine both those. Okay, if you got the steel thing, it's all made of the same thing, mm-hmm. and you've got the integrated part. Integrity then is not about simply performing perfectly, because right. then integrity comes back to purity. Mm-hmm. But that I am living in integrity even when I'm struggling through the broken parts because it's a part of the whole. It's all right. the one thing. Exactly. And I'm not separating them out, and I'm not playing this part alone or with these people and playing church over here with these people. I'm just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we've got a guest coming up who I think will have a few things to say about that kind of lifestyle, uh, living in that kind of in in that kind of integrity. Listeners, you're going to enjoy this man. He's got a few things to say. We'll be back in a moment with Roy Wooten from the Crucible Project on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey guys. Chris Inman here, Samson brother. If you're like me, I know you're so grateful for the connection and vulnerability that you found as a part of the Samson Society. But what's next for you? What are you going to do to take your next steps into healing that will get you to the place of freedom, purpose, and deep relational connection that you were always meant for? If you're interested in taking those next steps, I invite you to investigate porn-free masculinity. At Porn Free Masculinity, we will guide you on your transformative journey to break free from the shackles of porn addiction and discover the connection and purpose you've always longed for. You'll gain valuable insights, practical strategies, and even more supportive community to help you along the way. It's time to unleash your potential and create the life you know you deserve. This is a path I've walked, and I know you can walk it too. Start your journey toward a brighter future by connecting with us at pornfreemasculinity.com today. Welcome back to the Pyramuck Podcast. Well, our guest this week is joining us from the great state of Texas down there in Houston. Roy Wooten from the Crucible Project is joining us today. Hey, Roy. Yeah, really great to be with you, Nate. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, I I was uh, honored to be on the Crucible Project podcast a few weeks ago. Had a uh, enjoyable conversation then, and it did stimulate me to want to know more about what you guys are doing or what God is doing with you guys down there in Houston. Uh, first of all, well, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. How did you wind up in this kind of endeavor? Well, it, I have to go back to my childhood. I mean, I grew up in. Uh, a working poor family, uh, trailer home park. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a mom had a psychiatric break whenever I was five years old. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my earliest memories is me sitting in the back of a squad car uh, holding my little brother. Mom is wrapped up in a gurney being put in the ambulance, and dad's um, on the porch talking to a lawman. And mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, it was the first time she was taken away from us. And, and mm. we, we had a pattern where uh, she'd be taken away. We'd go live with other people for, you know, several months mm-hmm. because dad couldn't uh, keep his oil field job. He was a roughneck. Uh, go in while we were uh, needing to be cared for. So, uh, and then mom would come back home. And back in the 70s, they didn't have the good medications they have today. So mm-hmm. uh, they'd ke- keep them in an, uh, a public psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. And so she'd return and man, uh, we'd be back together for a while. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a challenge. Uh, luckily for me, I had some athletic ability and, oh. uh, that helped me, uh, do well in school, take my uh, motions out on the playing field. And, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Texas, if you're any good athletically, you're going to play football. So that's sure. I yeah. yeah. Uh, I happened to be, uh, a football player at the time when our little high school had a, a, a writer come and hang out with us for a couple of years and write a book that became the movie Friday Night Lights. So oh, I'm one, of the, wow. I'm one of the ball players from that era. But, but I had all this stuff running inside of me, you know, um, anger, uh, this, this need to always be achieving and performing, uh, performing academically, performing athletically. Mm-hmm. Um, at church, we, we were involved in uh, a fundamentalist uh, church growing up. And so that was a way that I kind of earned uh, yeah. competitions at, at church. And uh, I really felt called to be a pastor early in my life. Saved at 10. Uh, mm-hmm. By the time I was 12, I felt like I was going to be a pastor and I felt the call and moved uh from a high school right into college and they they told me uh they asked me what i was going to study and um I, I i was trying to figure out what all that mess was about that i just left home and mm-hmm. ended up in uh, a psychology class with a clinical psychologist who was also uh, a professor and a pastor I went to visit him at his church. Was shocked at that he really he really is a pastor, and wow. spent some time with him. And one of the things I shared with him was, you know, I really felt called to be a pastor. He said, just because you're called in the ministry doesn't mean you have to be the pastor. There are a lot of ways that that God can use you. And uh, I was doing some personal counseling for myself uh, through those early years of college. And, uh, and, and I just took a bend that way. I was taking as much Bible as I could, but also psychology, did my master's in clinical and counseling after that. And I spent my whole career trying to help people change and uh, driven by my own desires to be a better person, be mm-hmm. a better human, to be a better Christian mm-hmm. and, uh, and understand the world that was around me. So, mm. so when you ask, how did I get into uh, caring for other souls, helping people change, uh, breaking free from bondage that they're in, uh, 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 getting unstuck from the places in their life, it really was birthed in the pain and 
the suffering <laughs> and, yeah. and the challenges of my childhood. What attracted wow. you to uh, to the Crucible? Uh, you started as as a volunteer, right? Yeah, so I started as a participant. Actually, I, I went to the Crucible Project at a referral from uh, my brother-in-law. He said, they're doing some very unique things with men, and you ought to come check it out. So uh, I think at the time, I would have told you I didn't really have anything going on uh, negative in my life. I mean, by all accounts, things look good at home with my kids, my wife now of 35 years. Um, my, I guess my son was in high school, my daughter in junior high and, uh, and my career was good. You know, I was running a Christian counseling center. Uh, we, we were serving, uh, about 15,000 clients a year and wow, seven offices and, uh, 30 therapists, you know, uh, primarily in, uh, trauma recovery. And, mm. uh, and so things were good. And I went through the weekend and, oh my goodness, uh, God found some things for me and him to deal with. And mm. it was such a blessing to me. I immediately started using some of the things that I had experienced on the weekend in my help of couples and men that I was seeing in the office the next week. That's how impactful it was. These were things that I didn't learn in all of my years of going to conferences and graduate school. Uh, and, uh, and it was impactful to me, although I, I didn't know, I didn't feel the impact as much as my wife did. She said a couple of weeks after I'd been home, uh, I feel like I got the husband I married back. Mm -hmm. So there was something about the weekend that helped connect my head and heart at a you know, at a better level, and also uh, remove some barriers for me, like living more fully, authentically. Mm. And uh, so, so what? Uh, I mean, for our listeners that have no idea what the Crucible Project is, you've you've made a great case for this unknown thing. What is the thing? Yeah, the thing. So, uh, we're a nonprofit ministry that's uh, igniting Christ-like change through experiences of radical honesty and grace. And we do that primarily through transformational weekends. We also have coaching and groups uh, in follow-up to the weekend and an extensive two-year program with four other weekends. But, but it's a series of teachings and modeling and exercises that um, help men get to a place where they're uh, better connected to themselves, to God, and to others. Okay. Uh, from what I gather, if I were to show up at a Crucible weekend, you would not hand me a notebook with a lot of fill-in-the-blank pages uh, where I would uh, download information, process it cognitively, and go home uh, with everything experienced from the neck up. Exactly. Yeah. And, and churches do a great job from the neck up. You know, mm -hmm. we, yeah. um, most people are getting a good discipleship model in their home church where they're, they're learning more about God, his character and Jesus. And, and so, but, but there's a disconnect from the ways that God has called us to, to love him. He said, love 
love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of you, with your mm-hmm. emotions, not only with your thinking, with your body, and mm-hmm. our body is a temple. And so uh, our weekends are meant to create experiences where radical honesty in all of us, in all parts of who we are, are met with radical grace. Mm. And uh, Jesus said he came full of truth and full of grace. Mm. So uh, our, our weekends are are a set of experiences that help men uh, experience that usually for the first time ever in their life. Mm. So you've mentioned all parts of you being radically honest in all the parts. What do you find? I mean, I assume most participants come thinking, yeah, I've been, I'm, I'm honest about this, this, and this. What are the parts that you find people have not even considered that they have not been honest about? Well, it's, it's very diverse, but uh, usually it's, it's tied in with some uh, connection to what I would call a lie that, that, that they are believing about themselves and have lived out of. In my story, uh, sitting in the back of a squad car, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had spent the week trying to soothe mom, like I'm five years old, trying to soothe mom mm-hmm. and trying to give distance between her and dad and also trying to protect my brother. And mm-hmm. in that moment, there was something about uh, you're not valuable enough to be loved and something around that I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. And as I went through uh, my childhood, those kept showing up again and again. I saw them from, I saw them more and more uh, and, and they, and they came with me into my marriage. You know, I, my, my wife and I would have a disagreement. I immediately went to, I'm not worthy of love in my mind, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not lovable. And, and so uh, on the weekend, doing some work around uh, what God had put in front of me uh, uh, personally uh, at the time around not caring for myself, uh, spending mm-hmm. too much time and energy performing for others <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and trying to live up to expectations that I think others have of me. Uh, God brought me to a, a memory of that, of that, what I would call wound in my mm-hmm. soul at the core of my soul. And uh, so, so men for, for men, it's different things, right? It's um, I, I'm not a real man. I don't have what it takes. I, I, um, I'm, I'm uh, broken, defective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not normal. Uh, mm-hmm. I I can't love right or well. Um, uh, I'm not valuable. I'm not worthy. I mean, it's 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 a long list of things. Mm-hmm. I remember a man uh, came to our weekend. Um, he actually flew flew his plane into the airport near us came through our weekend and uh his piece of work was around this this challenge in his life of his daughters and his wife saying uh we don't know if you love us and uh why won't you retire he was well past the retirement typical retirement Mm -hmm. age and and his work was on uh his good baseball years second third fourth grade you know Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way into high school, and 
dad, uh, even though he might have hit the the winning home run or caught the final out or whatever, is dad uh, giving him pointers on the way home? And and it felt like mm-hmm. I'm just not good enough. I, I haven't I haven't won enough on the scorecard yet. Mm-hmm. So the man had hundreds of millions in in, in assets and was still striving for more and looking for that somehow, some way, externally finding that I'm good enough. And so uh, for every man that's different, uh, one man might be uh, sitting next to somebody who has a, a sexual, compulsive uh, sexual acting out. Another man might, might be sitting next to, uh, on his left, uh, uh, challenges with, uh, anger popping all the time, and his wife is separated from him. And uh, and the next man might be a pastor who's just struggled with his creativity for the last several months, and wondering if maybe God's calling on his ministry has left him. So it, it, you know, so, it, it's so back, very different. Yeah. So back to your story. After your weekend, you you talked about certain things you were discovering you're going back and connecting them to your story, but were you unaware of the performance-based stuff, the the love not being worthy? Were you aware of those, or were those totally off your radar? And was the real work of the weekend that in connecting it to that story, you start to find the honesty and the roots of those things? Yeah, uh, bingo, Aaron. That is 100% accurate. I. I, I had done, you know, therapy as a young adult and thought I had worked through the abuse, the many ways I was abused as a child and the challenges mm-hmm. around that. Uh, and and I don't think they were in my awareness or obvious to me that that was still in me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I had packed them away pretty well, you know, teacher at church, pastored bivocationally earlier mm-hmm. in my career, you know, uh, but uh, the awareness has made me be, uh, number one, more effective. It, like I, I, I've written four books since I went through my crucible weekend. I never would have written them before uh, mm-hmm. because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know any better. Um, I'm, uh, I, I, I move into the hard conversations instead of, uh, trying to tiptoe around. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, either with uh, my wife or my kids or uh, in in the leadership position I'm in at the Crucible Project. So uh, it was that awareness and I believe the grace that I received in the work that I did around that scene in my life that really mm-hmm. set me on a trajectory of, uh, of a lifestyle of being uh, totally honest with myself, living confessionally, up to date with mm-hmm. others in my life, you know, in the, in the recovery field, we might say, you know, we need to meet regularly and, uh, and, and have full confidentiality. So we don't have to hold back where there's no resistance to mm-hmm. being open and honest. And, uh, in the Christian world, um, I think that used to be called confession. We've kind of yeah. lost that <laughs> along the way somewhere. Yeah. And, and this, you know, we'll sit in, sit in a small group at church and uh, somebody will ask uh, for prayer requests and we'll talk about openly, usually, about medical issues or uh, challenges with a job search or something to that effect, but but not really what's on our heart, that, that we're yeah. worried about our, our son, that we're struggling 
uh, our teenage son who's making some bad decisions or uh, uh, we're in fear that we're going to blow up something in our marriage because we're hiding something from our spouse, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we don't get real and we're not real with ourselves. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And therefore we're not, we may be real with God, uh, but sometimes we even put like a tree or a fig leaf between us and God and act like mm-hmm. he doesn't know about it. Uh, but living confessionally up to date with someone for the rest of my life uh, is is a beautiful thing for me. And since my weekend, I have been in a group with men that um, um, create that safety safe place for me, that where there's no, nothing I need to hide. I think Satan's uh, number one, you know, tool in our lives is. Uh, that we're the only ones that are yeah. struggling with whatever, and that uh, we've got to figure it out on our own. And uh, it's it's actually uh, the truth is just the opposite. Like, mm. uh, and God doesn't call us to, to do that. God doesn't call us to be st- strong in a way that we are unable to. Um, uh, yeah, uh, strong strong in the sense that nobody. Uh, everybody thinks that everything in our life is all in line all the time. Yeah. Uh, he calls us rather to be strong and confessional, <laughs> and yeah. to, it, and it's a, it's the power of uh, the resurrection that Jesus forgives us, but it's the power of a small group of people in our lives that we can live confessionally up to date with. That is healing. James five sixteen says it. It is healing and takes the power away from the secret that we're trying to hide. Well, you, you brought up, uh, I think, a stumbling block or trap that I'd like to hear both of you speak on, which is prior to uh, getting into this confessional lifestyle with a group of people, you had done the counseling, you had done the teaching. In other words, you had all the right answers, you had all the Correct. right words, and sometimes, uh, you know, for guys that have been doing Samson or some other group for a long time, the more you know, that can get in the way of actually being engaged in real time and being honest, because those all create shortcuts and places to hide the stuff that you really need to talk about. So how do you both keep yourself in real time with your own heart God and others, even though you have the right answers at any given moment? That's a good question. I will tell you that I, uh, just speaking for myself, I have restarted. I, I do have ongoing relationships with guys who I've been walking with for years and years and have weekly conversations with those men, and I'm honest with them. I've also started within the last month a small group of guys following uh, a more structured approach. We're doing the uh, pure desire seven pillars group um, where already we've gone uh, deep. I know this is absolutely core. Roy, uh, Allie and I have just, we're, we're watching the whole Friday night lights oh. uh, saga <laughs> for the second time. Absolutely love the story. Uh, in some ways it's familiar, in some ways it's foreign to me. 
I, it, it's, it's amazing to me how football is practically a religion in Texas. We were just down there yeah. for our national retreat. We're driving past this little town with a massive, you know, good golly, what a, I mean, a freaking stadium for their high school football team. Um, I, uh, I never played team sports. Uh, well, aside from one season basketball where I rode the bench. Um, and I would say the closest thing I've felt to playing on a championship basketball, uh, a, a football team is road tripping to do ministry and mission with Samson guys. Mm. And these are guys that I know guys that know me, but I'm wondering it's there. I'm wondering what the positives and negatives are. It seems to me that as Samson has grown and we've kind of in some places, you know, start to really think of ourselves as a championship team and we're doing great things and we're doing things together and, and we're making a difference. Um, it seems to me as though the competitive spirit that infuses athletics kind of makes its way into our relationships mm. and it becomes a little bit tougher to stay humble completely transparent, open, and weak. Mm. I don't know whether you've ever experienced in anything like that, but, but it seems to me that that's kind of what I have to push against. Uh, I, 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 it's being willing always to lead with weakness and to stay humble is a, mm. and to stay connected, to stay connected without getting spur each other on to love and good works, as the Bible says but not to get competitive in a way that would threaten my own integrity. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think about um, several men that I love that have, uh, that I've had conversations with uh, over the years that have, uh, I, I guess, taken on a type of persona Mm-hmm. Uh, where they 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 really really look good in our groups and in our work, but their life is outside of group. I mean, the story is different, and yeah. um, and uh, you know, I've I've had the conversations where I've said, "Look, this is what I'm seeing or hearing from your wife or your family or whatever you know, yeah. whatever's going on." And this is what uh, what you look like on the weekend. Uh, do you see that? You know what I mean. Like it's mm-hmm. holding the mirror up. Uh, but I I, I loved uh, early on in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. I was coached by our founder Greg Houston, um, a pastor and a coach. Who and and I was amazed almost every time I was with him, either in a coaching call or sitting in a group or on a weekend, he, he was checking in real about what was going on at home mm. and any challenge. Like, like, it's like he would bypass some of the good that he was doing in his life to make sure he never missed a chance to be confessional. Yeah. And that really taught to, taught me about, um, there's no reason for me to, uh, hide, and it only hurts our culture of 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 uh, soul care to to hide yeah. from the people I'm leading. 
Um, yeah, it's something that I've got to be aware of. And, and, and some of the men that, like you said, have been with you for a long time, those are the guys who raise it uh, to me. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. say, hey, Roy, d- double check yourself. On this. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing? I, I do think we have a culture of open feedback and uh, that's hard for people when they first get into it because we'll, we'll, we'll uh, approach you with some soft accountability uh, mm-hmm. around some things. But uh, also we have a culture that, uh, that says there is n- there's, there's no, uh, so we're not following a personality. We're not following a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got Jesus uh, we, as our model. And we, we have a couple dozen people who lead our weekends and we never lead alone. And to be a leader, you also have to be in a group or, or in a coaching or counseling setting where you're continuing to do your work. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a requirement. Uh, uh, that we have. See, this year we'll we'll do 48 of our what we call initial weekends across the wow. United States. Uh, we'll we'll have another 14 what we call second level weekends. So we've got mm-hmm. four weekends. One about just about uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one one about um, uh, the dark side of leadership, if that makes sense. You know, uh, the other is really accepting and living out of our joy. Uh, leading with joy, uh, it's a strengths-based approach, and then lastly is a, a weekend just about mission and living on mission, living on purpose, intentionality, etc. Um, and and we're in sixteen different locations around the U.S. and then in four other countries: we're in Kenya, Rwanda, um, Australia, and Mexico. So wow, uh, we're 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 busy. And uh, although my face is on, and I'm sitting in the saddle, as it were, the in the mm-hmm. lead of this ministry, we really we have regional leaders, and we have those who lead our retreats, uh, so many other people, uh, and we never lead alone. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So. Uh- for those of our listeners who are intrigued by what they're hearing and maybe hearing the uh, the prompting of the Holy Spirit that this is something they should explore, where should they go to find out more about the Crucible Project? Yeah, so the crucibleproject.org is the home for everything that we have. You can find us on social media as well on Facebook and Instagram, uh, but uh, our, our testimonials, our podcast, uh, w- which you can find on any channel, uh, whatever you, mm-hmm. your favorite channel is, uh, and, um, and all of our coaching and groups are also available there at crystalproject.org. Well, Roy, I love, I love, uh, I love your spirit. Uh, <laughs> I, I, my spirit resonates with your spirit. I know God's in this mm. thing. Uh, and I'm just so uh, thrilled that it's been possible for us to have this conversation. And who knows what God is going to do with it on down yeah. the line. Uh, he's always working. And there's this masterful way in which he orchestrates everything for our good and his glory. And uh, yeah, so... Listeners, there you there you got it. You got it from Roy Wooden himself. 
That's uh, The Crucible Project. Thank you so much, Roy, for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Uh, it's been an honor and very humbling to hear you say that about me and my spirit. And I, I, I have you on a pedestal. I love what you've done, what God's done through you, and how you uh, continue to let him use you and bless you. All right. Well, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Are back on the Pirate Bunk podcast. So these these crucible weekends are yeah. are a bit more experiential. Yes. Than uh maybe guys that have gone on to a men's retreat or something like that. It, tell mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I I am not the best source of information. I didn't want to grill Roy too much. You and I know from uh our experience doing New Adam that you know when you tried to get information in advance about the weekend. What exactly are we going to be doing? You know, they were just really closed mouth because they didn't yeah. want to <laughs> spoil anything. Right. For, but in my conversations with Roy side conversations, my understanding is that, uh, although they, this is experiential, you're not just, it's not just a lecture format and it isn't just, you know, time for inner reflection or actually get you involved they do employ some of the tools of psychodrama, which were very, very helpful to me years ago when I went for a week of uh, a therapy at Onsite. You do know that any listener that's unfamiliar with that word is now terrified of what that <laughs> might be. We're yeah. going to do some psychodrama on you. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's nothing more than just kind of uh, assigning roles from a past event. And uh, kind of reenacting so that you can kind of experience it again. Mm-hmm. What was it like when that happened? And now I'm, go- but I went through that experience alone. Now I'm going to go through the experience with some other people, and I have the benefit of, you know, I had their experience, some more of my experience. I also have. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a clearer perspective on what went down in that scene on that day when that happened. Um, and, and the, uh, the first yeah. time I, I witnessed that, that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, at first it, it seemed weird. Yeah. And then I would watch guys enter into those moments, but especially having the voices and support around them mm-hmm. where they can be back in that moment, but find their safety that they're. Yeah. They can still be safe and go there. Yeah. And I, I thought it was pretty amazing uh, in the end, watching so many guys go through it and just how each one was affected. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I have been dramatically affected by that. And I am not, you know, I'm naturally resistant to that. I really want to think my way through life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason that I don't go back to those scenes. They're painful. (laughs) You know, I would rather not be there and, uh, you know, being emotionally present in a painful situation, going back there willingly, you know, it's not, it's not the thing I'm, you know, champing at the bit to sign up for. However, when, 
uh, encouraged by friends and with their support, with the guidance of somebody who knew what they were doing, uh, and in an attitude uh, of prayer, really being conscious of and reliant upon God's presence in the process and in the place to go back there. Because that experience is still alive in me, whether I have uh, metabolized those feelings or not, whether I've processed the experience or not, it is there. And if I have not, if I don't have clarity on exactly how that has affected the way I see myself and see the world, then that experience is still governing me in ways that I might find absolutely mystifying. So, uh, yeah, it's a helpful process. That's Again, a, that, Richard, that's huge, though, because it's a it's an important reminder that sometimes when I'm looking for healing, I think, oh, if I go through this process and I get healing, then that part, that, that pain that happened to me or that I mm-hmm. did to others will just, that'll go away. It won't be a part of me anymore. And that's no. just not the, that's not what healing is. Right. Yep, it will always be there. But um, uh, to use a metaphor that KK introduced to us, you know, it won't be driving the bus. It'll mm-hmm. be on the bus. It'll always be on the bus, but it doesn't have to be driving the bus. Good stuff. Well, uh, it's scary to jump into that kind of work, but man, every time we experience it, we walk away going, all right, I'm, I'm glad I took the leap. I'll tell you what, I was absolutely stunned when I went to the website and saw how many weekends there are. I mean, you heard him say it, 48 48. weekends, intro weekends, intro weekends. And then, you know, another 14 second level weekends. Uh, So there's lots of entry points. I, I can see myself. I can see myself going to a crucible weekend. I'm not done. I'm not finished. I've benefited from experiences like this before, and I'm sure I would benefit from doing it again. Nice. Well, it's about all the time we've got for today, man. Yep. Yep. Well, it's been a good conversation, a good time. Uh, we have more coming up. We have a steady stream of fascinating uh, guests coming our way. But that's it for this time. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.